Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. MiniCoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out MiniCoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today, I'm speaking with Carla Garrick. After winning the green card lottery, Carla left the plains of Africa for a better life in America. Before then, she finished boarding school when she was just 16 years old and law school when she was 21, working as an attorney in both South Africa and later California. Carla is author of The Ecstatic Pessimist, Stories of Hope, parentheses mostly, now available on Amazon or directly from Carla, personalized with shipping included. Carla has also appeared on WMUR, CNN, Fox News, and been featured in GQ and Playboy, been quoted in The Economist, and has discussed libertarianism on the BBC. She has visited more than 40 countries hiked to the base camp of the 10th highest mountain of the world, lost a shoe in a taxi more than once, had her passport stolen in Goa, got kidnapped in Vietnam, and has noshed on more mystery meat street food than she cares to admit. Carla is the president emeritus of the Free State Project, a conspiracy to get tens of thousands of libertarians to move to New Hampshire, take over the state, and, and leave everyone alone. And she just started her own webcast called The Carla Garrick Show. Carla's also again running for New Hampshire State Senate against an opponent she describes as an 80-something 12-term establishment dude, and she's getting closer and closer to beating him. Carla, welcome to the show. Tom, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, you've got a long list of credentials and accomplishments and experiences there, so I'd like to get into just about all of them, but... First and foremost, this Free State Project's been around for quite a while now. What's what's the latest and greatest on that? Yeah, so we are going from strength to strength. The Free State Project is moving uh, and growing, and the movement, you know, we put the move in movement, and we have a lot of people coming out. Of course, you know, based on the past two years, I would say Corona fascism and medical tyranny is a growth sector for people who are into liberty, right? Because people are looking for answers, looking for solutions. And, you know, at this stage, those of us who are early movers and sort of the pioneers for this vision of a libertarian state, 
where we can be together, where we can concentrate, where we can keep a small, limited government. You know, if people want to have their communes and their communism, Vermont's a great state. You can go over there. Let's give us some kind of homeland for people who value individualism, value personal responsibility, value property rights. So we're going from strength to strength. In fact, we have a housing shortage and that's our biggest problem right now. There are more people who want to move than we can actually find homes for. So uh, the past year, we've definitely seen a lot of legislative wins also uh, in terms of what's happening at the state house. Now the free state project of course is just the movement to bring people to the state. Once they get here, they do different things. Some people start businesses. Some people do a lot of civil disobedience. That was kind of where I came from. And then, um, you know, people run for office as I've been trying to do for the past while. Somebody's <laughs> got to do it. You know, that's that's kind of how I got into the Senate race originally, to be honest. I got a phone call at like, I think it was 310 on a Friday afternoon. I was out on a trail with my dog and my phone rang and it was someone and they were like, no one put up their name to run against this establishment dude. And uh, and they were like, will you run? And I was like, "Uh, I don't know. Not really. That's not really what I, you know, the vision I saw. But sure, I'll help you guys out in a pinch. It was actually bike week which means, you know, hundreds of thousands of motorcyclists come to the state of New Hampshire. And so I I told them, let me call my husband, let me see whatever. And they're like, oh, by the way, you can't file downtown Manchester. You have to file in Concord, which is about 30 minutes away from where I live. So it's like 420. And I'm like, I got to get to Concord. And I jump in my car and it's bike week. It's insane traffic. I literally left my car double parked. I had three minutes. I like ran up the state house steps, went into the secretary of state's office. And I'm like, (laughs) you know, and he's like, what? And I was like, I have to file for this position. Uh, So that was my entry into politics. From there, it has gotten better. You know, in 2016, I was a relative unknown. And I got about, I think it was 38 percent of the vote, right? So those would just be sort of base card-carrying Republicans. I run Republican. And then in 2018, I actually ran as a fusion candidate, both Republican and Libertarian. And last year, uh, I actually got 45 percent of the vote. So we are, you know, we're closing that gap. I think 2022 is going to be the year. Carla, even 38 percent of the vote is a big, big number for somebody with our platform. And of course, 45 is incredible. Uh, so, I mean, it seems like you're knocking on the door. You think you got a shot this time around? I do think so. I do need to raise a lot of money. One of the things when we're talking about establishment dudes, not only are we talking about, you know, uh, you know, a 40 year career uh, of corruption, my opponent, certainly, you know, he introduced the emergency legislation after 9-11 that was used to sort of implement all the corona fascism we've seen. He gets a lot of money from Pfizer. I'm going to have a fun time talking about that. Um, I think the state of New Hampshire is ready for our message. You know, this is a very libertarian state to start with. Our state slogan is live free or die. So, you know, it doesn't play well in a pandemic, but at the heart of it, that is the (laughs) issue, right? Like be free or, you know, don't be free, but that's the line. And that's the line for me. 
Well, you know, it's funny that you bring that up. Of course, it could be a punchline, but when you really think about it, these lockdowns and and the measures they took in 2020, you know, the government with its ham-fisted approach probably killed a lot of people. You know, we used to be lectured by NPR that every, I believe it was 1% raise in the unemployment rate nationally, you know, was equivalent of 30,000 deaths. Everybody forgot about that statistic when the lockdown started. How many people did they kill with these things? Uh, really, a, a lot of freedom would have been better and a lot of common sense, maybe protecting elderly people and, and not just locking down everybody and, and closing their businesses. Absolutely. And, you know, here in New Hampshire, we were really on the forefront of standing up against that sort of medical tyranny. Um, I was out there from April 2020. I've been at Freedom Health Freedom Marches, Health Freedom Rallies. Those groups of people have really grown. You know, initially we were maybe like 100 at the state house. The last one I was at last month, we had over 1,500 people. I gave a speech and a lot of people came to me afterwards because part of my messaging is everyone's mad, but we actually have to start to show some compassion and some forgiveness if Amara's is going to get out of this mess, you know? And so when I was talking, I did talk about this notion that from a propaganda perspective with social media and the messaging that we see, they've basically put people on high alert. They've overactivated their amygdalas and it's just this fear model. And that's a real physiological thing. So if you, you know, in the second world war, they would put off air raid sirens, right? When the bombs were coming and people would know when the sirens go off, your cortisol and your adrenaline would spike. You'd run away, you'd go get in a bunker and you'd hope you wouldn't be blown to bits. Right. right. And that was like a very traumatic experience, but we kind of took that sort of experience and expanded it over now almost a two year time, right? Especially in 2020. And we prime people with this like fear model where people are just like, ah, right? And we turn everyone into enemies of each other. And what I wanna say is, no, we should unite behind the notion of individualism because everyone's talking about groups, but groups are only made up of people. So you can't hate the person if you wanna help a group. It doesn't make any logical sense. And so with the health freedom people, we've been out there, our legislature was pretty good. Our governor was pretty good. I mean, there were some soft mandates um, in terms of masks, but most of it was pushed to the local level. And, you know, New Hampshire last year uh, was the only state we actually cut taxes, like really cut taxes. We cut the uh, interest and dividends tax. So that is New Hampshire does not have a personal income tax but we did have this dividend and uh, interest and dividends tax. And so we're actually scaling that down. And over the next five years, that'll be gone as well. So, you know, it's a great state. I want more people to come. We need to build some houses. So we need some <laughs> builders too. <laughs> I wish I could help you with that. You know, I first met you, I believe back in 2009, and this uh, project was a little newer um, then. Do you have a sense of how many people have moved to New Hampshire based on the Free State Project? 
So it's, it is hard to track. We track about five, just over 5,000 that we know who have actually come back to us and been like, yes, we moved. Now we also know that our sort of people value privacy, probably don't want to be on all kinds of lists and all of that. So, I mean, I would say the, the Alliance of Liberty people in New Hampshire is tens of thousands strong. We know that because we're seeing with, with the rise of tyranny itself or totalitarianism or authoritarianism, whatever you want to call it, but, you know, big bad guys trying to make a lot of little people do stuff, right? <laughs> uh, with, <laughs> with the rise of that, we're seeing different groups coming together. So last year, the flavor was very much health freedom, lots of mommies, but we have this massive school choice thing. Of course, they're the gun rights people. And so what happens when you have massive big government that are pressing on every issue, you're actually activating a mass amount of counter energy because you've you've literally made people in every silo that you're trying to control mad. And so here in New Hampshire, we're really seeing that bubble up from, you know, something like gun rights, where, of course, with the help of free staters uh, in 2018, we introduced constitutional carry. The naysayers were like, the sky is going to fall. There will be blood on the streets of New Hampshire. <laughs> and of course, that doesn't happen, right? So every time they put out the messaging where they're like crazy bananas, the worst, 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 worst thing is going to happen. So Cassandra, right? The, the less I think people are going to trust them. And we really are seeing that now. I think with shows like yours and mine, right? Where new voices are coming up and we're seeing this decentralization as we crush the legacy media. <laughs> yeah, and- you know, you make several good points there. You know, I don't know how many elections free staters have won, but you don't necessarily have to win the election to move the needle, right? I mean, if you if you have a block of votes that obviously are looking for, let's say, constitutional carry, and somebody gets elected that doesn't support it, well, the loser in that election is going to say, you know, if I had those votes, I could have won. This is why I try to persuade my fellow anarchists. Yeah, vote. You know, I mean, back when I went to the barber and before I started cutting my own hair, when they closed all the barbers down in uh, 2020, you know, I, I could. Wish I had that excuse. Yeah, <laughs> I, I could vote on the way to the barber shop. So I'd say, look at this, cost me nothing. There's no line. Well, I live in the middle of nowhere, and you can move the needle because the loser is always looking for why did they lose, right? And the winner is always. You know, looking, why was it so close? We're not looking for establishment politicians to do the right thing. We're looking for them to look out for their own selfish interests and say, you know what? We need to give these people what they want, or they're going to kick us out of office, even if they don't win. So that's just one strategy I've long tried to advocate. How have the free staters done? Have you elected some people? Oh, yeah. So we elected our first free stater in 2008, which was the year I moved to the state. It was actually a Democrat and they served two terms. And then the Democrats sort of realized, oh, no, we have a we have an individual thinker, a critical thinker in our midst, you know, so uh, because, you know, we, we do see that the Democrats tend to vote with a big block. So first one was elected in 2008. And from then we have uh, exponentially grown. There are uh, about, uh, you know, it depends who you ask, but let's say 
dozens, uh, I would say 30, 40 plus free staters who currently serve. We are in leadership. Uh, we work together with what is called the Liberty Block in the state that is over 100 representatives. They're primarily uh uh, Republicans, but they were sort of the guys who were forced up into the bleachers when they were meeting in session in the big sports arena, and they had, you know, everyone six feet apart in their desks with their masks, and then there were the hundred people who could think for themselves sitting up in the bleachers. So we do actually have swayable power or influence at this stage. We're not the majority in anything, but we are enough people that if we want to jam something up, we probably can. And if we want to push something through, we want to. And that has created a really interesting dynamic. I mean, I one of the things I can tell why I know we're in the upswing is we're getting attacked from both sides. <laughs> there are a lot of hit pieces coming out from the left, from the unions, from the rags, you know, from the co-opted media. And then even a little bit from from, you know, the rhinos in, in the party. There was a guy, uh, I think his last name is Marsh. He was a he claimed to be a Republican who with much fanfare just left the party to join the Democrats. And I went and looked at his voting record and I was like, you have a C minus, which, you know, by one of the organizations that tracks liberty in New Hampshire, the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance. And I was like, your voting record is like worse than some of the Democrats that we actually like. Like, so you you haven't actually left the Republican Party. You have literally just gone to the party you vote with. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that. And of course, you know, when when the naysayers and the critics say things, I always ask them, I'm like, so you don't like us because we like freedom, like liberty, less government, like how, I'm always curious, how are we the ones getting attacked? Because if you flip that on its head, you have to ask, and I ask people all the time, I'm like, so if you're not pro-liberty, what are you pro? Are you like <laughs> pro-slavery? Because in some ways, we're the modern abolition movement. The government thinks they own our bodies. We saw that this last year. And someone has to stand up and say, no, this is enough. You know, the Free State Project definitely led this, as far as I know, but I think you're seeing another kind of long dead aspect of the American system come back, and that's federalism. And you can kind of pick, like you said, you can pick what you like out of the different kinds of states. You want to be more European socialism, you can go to Vermont. If you want to be Trump, 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 MAGA, you can go to Florida. South Dakota is pretty interesting. The governor there kind of went down the line with DeSantis in Florida, but when it came to prohibiting businesses from issuing vaccine mandates, she said, no, that's not my job. I don't like it, but you know, the government can't really tell them what to do. More of a libertarian approach. And of course, when you guys do take over and you will take over, then we'll have something like an anarcho-capitalist paradise <laughs> or the closest you can get with a government, right? Yeah, certainly, you know, it is an exciting time because we are, I am certainly looking down the line 10, 15 years. I've been in New Hampshire now for 13 years. I mean, this is my forever home. So I really am strategically thinking, you know, what is that future? How can this look? And back in the olden days, you know, we jokingly, I would call it, let's build the Yankee Hong Kong that worked until China's 
took over Hong Kong. Now we have to come up with a new analogy. So let's say, you know, the sort of Yankee Switzerland, right? Like sort of a canon level governance, right? But, you know, when we look to the future, New Hampshire has nuclear. We have a license that is extended to 2030 to build a second, there is a second generator reactor. So, uh, you know, I would maybe like to see some some green energy come into the state. Let's build a second nuclear. And, you know, I don't know, maybe if I'm going to become president of a free New Hampshire, then uh, I might have to give my people some, you know, some literal energy power <laughs> and then we'll let them export it to the rest of the eastern seaboard right so i'm half joking but i'm actually quite serious i would love to see us look at every little bit of liberty that works somewhere else because here's the fascinating thing about the world if you look at different countries they all kind of have like something right like germany has autobahn so they don't have speed limits and magically that works there and you know pot's legal in x y and z countries and magically that works there right so if we have to fight the globalists we can also learn a little bit from them but we can do it in reverse they're trying to figure out how to control all of us and i'm kind of like why don't we take every pocket of freedom in the world that we know works because it's working somewhere and we just all introduce them into new hampshire so i would love to see it just truly be a free state and then we know that will create prosperity and from there maybe we could have you know incredible privacy laws crypto banking you know real banking privacy again because of course switzerland totally messed that up right so i think the future is bright and all i want is more people who are creative and innovative and really have a sense of positivity towards the future to be like, don't stay wherever you are. You're not going to change these libertarian LA people. I'm like, you're not going to change it. So either you like hot weather and pretty people and then stay there, but admit it or come here and actually build something that we can show people we are the libertarian Mecca of the world. You know, I think because of the COVID disaster in 2020, it became very apparent. Yes, there, there can be a difference between what state you live in. I want to just ask you, do a thought experiment with me, and let's return to our overtaxed, overregulated lives of 2019. And I'm very interested in, in you telling the folks, number one, what kinds of things, if you got elected and you got even a majority in the legislature that you could accomplish to make your state different. And I also want to talk about at the local level. So I, this is where I, even I don't really know if they were silly enough to elect me like town supervisor. I'm not going to de-Sovietize the uh, water system. What could I do that could make it more like the kind of place I'd want to live? So tell the folks some of the things you might accomplish at the state and local level. So I think on a state level, we could do things like uh, one of the areas New Hampshire struggled in is, is cannabis legalization. We were actually the first state to pass it through a legislature under a, a, a Republican House and Senate uh, passed marijuana legalization back in 20. 2008 or 2010, and it was vetoed by a sitting Democrat, John Lynch. And so now we are literally the only state in New England that doesn't have 
legalized cannabis. So I would probably start there. I would work on occupational licensing. I don't think we fully realize what a mess that actually creates because a lot of the, the stuff we've seen over the past year, I mean, doctors aren't speaking out about things they should be speaking out about. And it's because Again, we're back in that fear model, right? Oh, I can lose my job. If I lose my job, I can't pay my mortgage. I can't put my kids through school, that whole cycle, right? So with occupational licensing, I'd like to see a lot of that go away. Um, I'm a big uh, government accountability, open government proponent. I think we could do so much better. One of the bills I would like to introduce would be something like, if any town or city responds to a right to know request. So that's basically New Hampshire's RSA, it's 91A and it's like FOIA, right? But on a state level. So your freedom of information on a state level. We could do something like if, if someone responds to a right to know request that just goes literally into like a state run database that collects all the answers, right? Because one person asked for something and you discover, I don't know, let's say the mayor of Nashua is getting a tax abatement on his property that no one else is getting. You know, it'd be useful if instead of that one citizen knowing that and maybe coming on a show like yours or mine and talking about it, we could create an actual repository for that kind of information. I would love to see something like machine learning introduced where we could go back through the bills and we could maybe classify them, right? Could be like, these are so old, we don't even know why we're talking about laws that have to do with rabbits breeding or whatever <laughs> it is, right? And just do away with those. Maybe have some in the middle where we're like, we should see if these need to sunset, what should we be doing with this? So I think there are a lot a lot of ways to actually clean house and make government more efficient just by going in with some ideas. Um, so those are just, and then obviously energy, I think is going to be a big factor uh, going forward. So off the top of my head, those are some crazy notions. And I forget what the second part of the question well, I guess, was. You know, I, even myself, I don't know what I could do to make a more libertarian royalty in New York if they put me in charge of it. What can you do at the town level? I mean, again, what do they do? They do a little bit with the roads and they do the water system. And do you think we could ever privatize those things? I, I do think we can. I mean, it will probably take a while. It might even be a generational thing. But, you know, technology is both enslaving us, but also a tool to set us free. I think partly what we're seeing now is a mass decentralization of people's attention and um, and I just bring that up because with tech, with roads, I mean, over the long term, yes, we have someone sitting in a toll gate right now taking your dollar when you like pull up there, right? But we know easy passes have come in and people are like, you know, willing to adopt those things. So maybe in a year, you know, in 10 years, people... <laughs> Maybe you'll tie it to your VAX passport, who knows, right? But you could privatize the roads and have a usage fee based on, you know, how much you're driving, what it is. The real tension, and this is something I genuinely struggle with because my background is, you know, a lawyer in Silicon Valley. I worked with, you know, a lot of tech companies. I worked with Steve Jobs, the whole thing, right? So tech is my baby. And I kind of feel like, ah, we're at this cusp where we're either going to go like full CCP totalitarian control tech, you know, where we can't leave the house or buy our groceries or do anything 
we're not controlled in some way, but equally that tech can set us free. And so I think we're just in a fight, right? And 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 we're going to see sort of where that falls out. And hopefully it will fall out on a state or federalized or geographic level. And then let's let people be with the people they want to be with. Maybe this is just the next wave of how the world's going to work as more humans become self-actualized and realize, oh, I like this. I don't like this, uh, that, you know. Let's let's let people go do that. You know, I, I actually want to be surrounded by people who share my values. You know, like I, I believe in private charity, but I don't believe in forced charity. Sure. It's that time of the year again when we're all looking for something special to give friends and loved ones for the holidays. Unfortunately, the government and its bank have worked especially hard this year at doing what they do best, make things more expensive for the rest of us. Well, I have great news. You can get a free copy of my new ebook, An Anti-State Christmas. That's my gift to you in appreciation for listening. But that's not all. I've also made the book available as a paperback at an incredibly low price, so you can get a few copies to give as gifts. It makes a great stocking stuffer. And don't worry, this is not some preachy libertarian treatise. It's full of fun and even includes a special Christmas beverage recipe. Get more information and your free ebook at antistatechristmas.com. That just ain't true. We help each other when we don't mean to. That's what we call the invisible hand. Something no politician understands. You know, you reminded me when you brought up licensing, believe it or not, I lived in Florida for 10 years and in the 2000s, I was in the hearing aid business and just about everybody has a parent or a grandparent or somebody who has trouble hearing and we all know they're very expensive and part of that cost is is real. You really need a professional to fit a hearing aid to an individual but part of that cost is also regulatory because they always up the requirements for the credentials of the person that does that fitting. So when I was in the business, you had hearing aid specialists. These are people without an advanced degree, but who passed a licensing test and they were really good. And in fact, you know, they were better at fitting hearing aids than the audiologists who are better at many other clinical things, right? So you had that, and that made hearing aids more expensive. They were always trying to get the hearing aid specialists out of the business and trying to up the requirements so you had to go to an audiologist. Well, we came along with a product that was going to be called a assisted listening device or something to that effect. It's been 15 some years. But this was something where you'd buy it over the counter. It was just a real simple amplifier. And, you know, there were all these regulations saying you couldn't sell that without one of these people fitting it, which would then drive the cost into the thousands. We were going to sell it for two or $300. So we actually tried to lobby the state legislature to get that out. And on the last day, they just descended on us and just said, no, 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 no. And like the reasoning was, this is dangerous for people to do this without, you know, a clinician, you know, and it's not like there's nothing to that, but it's like, come on. Our, our device was going to put out 30 decibels and they were saying, you need a, somebody to fit that. Well, an iPad puts out 
like 90 or 100 decibels and nobody fits those, right? So it, it's just a, a spurious argument. It's protectionism. It's another kind of, if you do it from people overseas, it's called tariffs. When you do it here, it's called forced unions or guilds. But these are the kinds of things that, that really impact people's lives. They don't realize, oh, now I got to spend $5,000 to get my dad hearing aids where you know his hearing isn't that bad. Maybe something like this could benefit him for a while and save some money. So that's just one little thing. Of course, they want to license people just to do your nails. It's, it's out of control. There's always some corrupt economic incentive behind this. So you could do a lot at your state level. You could probably do a lot at the local level. And you're, you've taken a real unique approach. We're going to win elections because we're going to bring the voters into the state and get them to move here. It's great. <laughs> well, and also, again, you know, it is the live free or die state. So a lot of our neighbors really are quite libertarian. You know, my neighbor across the street, she's probably in her late 70s. And she's still, you know, climbing on her roof, putting up her Christmas lights. It's it's a hearty bunch of people who take care of themselves up here. And, and, and I applaud that. And I love that. And, you know, yay. And so let's bring in more people. But let's also, you know, convince our friends and neighbors, because I think at this stage, you know, the messaging from a libertarian perspective is like live and let live. And mind your own business. And I don't see how those are controversial, right? The problem comes in is because we've given up ourselves to this safetyism notion, which is exactly what those hearing aids are, right? And that pervades everything now. Apparently, in this infrastructure bill that they signed, there's a that you're going to have to blow in your car in order to start your car. Now, I stopped drinking, but had I not stopped drinking, that probably would have been a problem, right? And so they're all these things in this bill too that we just don't even know about and so it gets back to i think um uh, psychologically where are we as a people right and are you going to let your life be defined by fear and being scared and living in this constant state of anxiety and you know it's not a healthy space that is just you know that's that's it's literally toxic at least on a cellular level or are we going to say you know what life's not actually that scary this is the best the world has ever been regardless of what anyone has to say about it things are exceptional they can get better we just have to really want want that and maybe you know Again, if you don't want it and you want to be crazy safetyism, just go live somewhere else, but give us a place where we too can exist. I mean, I'm at the stage where this is going to start to sound like, you know, <laughs> we're building a homeland, but in some ways I kind of feel that way, you know, because it's, it's, it, it shouldn't be this hard to just tell people you don't have authority over my corpus like this whole notion where people are literally, I mean, I have a lot of progressive friends and I came from the left and I'm like, I don't know how people went from my body, my choice to literally my body, my choice for abortion is what they say. Right. And then they literally are now saying, but your body, my choice also. Right. And you know, this is applies everywhere. I mean, the minimum wage argument is always made as if the employer is exploiting the worker. And no one ever looks at the minimum wage laws as a prohibition on selling your own labor at whatever price you choose. I mean, really, if I tell you you're not allowed to work for $6 an hour, I'm telling you I own you, right? 
it's not up to you how you direct your own actions. It's up to me. Nobody ever looks at it that way, but I mean, you could apply that across the board. And the other thing I want to point out, you know, you bring up this conflict between safety and liberty. It's not like the government ever does well. It's really a false choice. Do you want more safety? Do you want more liberty? I mean, everybody's appalled about Afghanistan, right? We spent 20 years, uh, I don't know how many trillions of dollars. We killed hundreds of thousands of people, our own and other other people. And what do, what do we get out of it? Nothing, nothing. And, you know, they're like, oh, that's terrible. But that's not an aberration. Look at the war on drugs. 50 years after it started, We've got an opioid epidemic. I mean, that's the government's own assessment of its work, right? I mean, <laughs> what have they done well? You know, the Department of Education, has that gone well? So I guess, you know, you really don't have to make a choice between letting the government keep you safe and supposedly protecting your freedom. They're not going to keep you safe. Obviously, they didn't keep us safe from COVID-19. It's a disaster. Would have been much better off if they did nothing. Don't just do something. Stand there, right? So... Yeah, I mean, it really is. We're presented with these false choices. I remember air raid sirens going off and crawling under my desk in grade school because we were all going to get nuked. It just never ends, and it never yeah. and it's it never ends well either. Yeah, and I think that exactly that that philosophy of uh, them telling us we can't do without them, but then we look at their track record and you go. But, you know, you'll listen to someone like Biden and, you know, he's like, oh, we have systemic racism. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. And I'm like, dude, you've been <laughs> in charge for 40 years. If it's wrong, it's your fault. Same with the people here, you know, uh, my my opponent in my Senate race. I'm like, you know, he'll be like, this is wrong. This is wrong. And I'm like, you've been there for 20 years. If it's wrong. It's on you. How about you let some fresh blood come in and fix your mess? And I think part of the hysteria we're seeing and this high level of propaganda, because, you know, we've seen some interesting things happen over the last year and propaganda is sort of my like little area of interest. I just like to watch it and sort of see what's what's going on. Right. And part of what they are upset about, I think, is I read this book by Nicholas Sparks. It's an old book, but um, it's about sort of how the internet has changed the way we think and, and all of that. And he talks about how with hyperlinking, we actually changed how we process information. Now, someone like me who is, um, you know, people call me a conspiracy theorist. I regard myself as an investigative reporter. I have questions and I try and find answers to things. Do I think the lizard people are running the world? Categorically, no. But do I think it's funny to think about if we're gonna have a false flag alien invasion? Yes, right? So with the hyperlinking, what happened was we have all these intelligence agencies, government departments, and they were able to bury things. Because if you were curious, I had to go to the library. I had to do a decimal system. I had to pull this naval report. I had to find the footnote. Then I had to go find that source. And the internet changed all of that, right? It literally made it so that we could rabbit hole, right? You could start here and you could end there. And that meant we were actually for the first time conclusively able to build the arguments that said, this is nonsense, this is nonsense, this is nonsense, and we could build it. And they were like, in 2013 or whatever, we went off the 
uh, they, they changed the law to say that the U.S. intelligence agencies may now use propaganda against U.S. citizens. And my argument is when that happened is actually when we saw this weird thing that started to happen with the division of people and how social media is being used to manipulate everyone. So again, you know, if I'm doing the big tech pitch for, for good, uh, you know, it's like they are now using the technology to manipulate us. But for a moment there, we were winning. And I think we can win again. It's just going to be what is going to happen in 2022, I think. I actually did a lot of ghost writing over the last six or seven years. And I ghost wrote a book for somebody who was actually on the other side of this COVID thing saying people aren't taking this seriously enough. And the one of the, the things I was trying to research was asymptomatic spread. And every time I found something on asymptomatic spread, I would read the study and they couldn't prove it, right? They were like, well, we haven't found a case yet. And then like the last one I read, it said that they looked at what they call secondary attack rates, which is if you're in the same house, how many people in your own household do you infect? And the secondary attack rate for people with symptoms was like 16%. And the people that were asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic was like 0.7%, less than 1% within the margin of error. So it might not be happening at all. Now, I don't know what the answer is, but all I know is I can't find any proof that this even exists. But, you know, so that's just one thing. But every headline, asymptomatic, asymptomatic, right? And most people believe that. <laughs> and But it's like from a propaganda perspective what that was, right? So asymptomatic actually means healthy, right? You don't have any symptoms and you're going about your life. Now, I mean, you know, prior to 2020, that I think that's what's so frustrating about what happened is they literally took everything and turned it on its head. Never in the history of mankind have we quarantined the healthy. Never before have we said, oh, you might be healthy, asymptomatic, but we're going to lock you down. I mean, the insanity of the response, and it's very important for listeners to remember that every time you see the sentence, because of the pandemic or this economic thing, because of the pandemic, it's not because of whatever happened medically, it is the government's response to the pandemic that has caused all of these things. And we know because back to federalism, you could take a state that, you know, California versus Florida, and we can just take the data now and we can compare it. And we know worldwide the response, regardless of what they did, made not one iota of difference anywhere because the masks don't really work. Uh, asymptomatic carrying is not really a thing. Um, and locking down, not locking down, doing these control factors, none of it mattered, right? So we may as well have just gone ahead like we did in 2003 when the first SARS came around, or you know, there've been bad flu seasons. It's a reality of humanity, but it's not a reason to change the entire way we're gonna govern the world. And I'm a huge traveler, we said it in the opening, and I'm like really concerned that I was like, wow, I may very soon not be eligible to travel to a lot of places. So maybe when we, you know, have our free state, I would like to think we're going to have a crypto airline and that, you know, we will let people freely travel where they want to travel with maybe like little contracts with regional airports and that kind of stuff. So the more they clamp down, the more they create creativity on this side for, for the rest of us. So 
I'm sorry I've kept you so long, but can you say just a few words about the uh, Carla Garrick show? Where is it available? What's it about? Sure. So the Carla Garrick show is I recorded my sixth episode yesterday. Um, so I'm trying to feature free staters in the free state and really talk about liberty in a positive way. I made a lot of lifestyle changes over the past five years. You know, I quit drinking. I changed to keto ancestral living. I do low carb, high good fats, lots of yoga, walking. I lost a lot of weight. And I really just want to spread that sort of message because I think in the end, in order for us to fight the man, we have to be units that are able to do that. If health is going to become a basis for people to discriminate against us, I think that we want to be as healthy as we can to go into that fight. And once you're healthy, you actually get mind health back and it helps with things like the fear and the anxiety and those things. So the show is pretty much highlighting free staters telling everyone's how I came to New Hampshire story, because in some ways I do think we are refugees at this stage. I feel like I'm an immigrant to the state of New Hampshire, and I've come here for that American dream or the, the granite stater dream, I guess. Um, and so I have guests on and I talk about happy, bubbly stuff. And sometimes I complain a lot too. So, and people can find that on uh, YouTube tends to, um, take some of my stuff down. They don't like what I have to say most of the time, uh, but I'm also available on Odyssey. And uh, so people can find me primarily just search for my name. I'm very active on Twitter, Facebook, social, Insta, and my website, carlagarrick.com is like a good central place to find all of this stuff. And that's C-A-R-L-A-G-E-R-I-C-K-E.com, correct? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> All right. What's the uh, link for the Free State Project? So that is FSP.org. And if people want to come visit, we are setting up visiting things all the time. We, of course, have the Porcupine Freedom Festival, which I hope you'll come to. That'll be next year in June. We have Liberty Forum coming up in March. That'll be the first weekend in March in Manchester, New Hampshire. That one's a little more suit and tie, uh, a little more policy focused and politics, but it's also a great fun time. Uh, the end of December, December 18th and 19th, they're doing a big thing out on the seacoast. So they'll have some comedians coming in, Robbie the Fire something. I'm gonna, Bernstein. Yeah, Robbie, <laughs> uh, Robbie Bernstein is coming in. He'll be doing two sets. And then they're doing a bus tour of the area. I mean, one of the biggest selling points of New Hampshire is it has the highest quality of living rating. It was just rated number one again for freedom on the freedom metrics. It beat Florida. Uh, and um, and it's incredibly beautiful. We just got out of full. It's like living in Candyland. And our trees make sugar. So a little plug for maple syrup, too. <laughs> All right. And last but not least, what's the uh, website for your campaign? So that is uh, Carla4NHSenate.com. And there is a donate button there. And actually, I've probably slapped that on the front of my website as well. Uh, yeah, I'm going to need donations. I want to do some TV commercial. I mean, the juxtaposition is there. We are winning. There is a lot of money coming into the state. Obviously, we have gotten a lot done with a little. So I'm like, yo, yo, billionaires, you guys want to buy a state? 
holler at me. <laughs> well, Carla, I want to thank you for being here and say I, I fully support you taking over the state of New Hampshire, the country, and then the world. But let's at least get you elected to the Senate first. Folks, go and check out Carla's show. Check out her campaign. Contribute to it if you can. And check out the Free State Project. You want to consider going somewhere where people believe what you believe. It's not crazy. It's happening. It's happening all over the country. Carla, thanks so much for being on. Thank you for having me. Okay, friends, that's going to do it for today. Don't forget to get a free copy of my new ebook, An Anti-State Christmas, at antistatechristmas.com. Of course, if you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you normally listen. And please do go to the Tom Mullen Talks Freedom website at tommullentalksfreedom.com and leave a review. And if you like the music you've heard on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at tommullensings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.